All right, Braves fans, let's get rolling. I'm George McNair, and this is State of the Braves. Uh, good to be back with you guys as the winter meetings have concluded. Uh, the Braves actually proved to be one of the most active teams at the winter meetings. Uh, they bucked the idea that they would focus on pitching first and address their left field needs later in the offseason. Uh, and they did so by trading for the talented left fielder Jared uh, Kelnick. And I'm going to make sure that I pronounce that right from now on. Looks like Kalinick, but it's Kelnick. And, uh, you know, this guy is, uh, he's been with the Mariners. He came up, actually, he was drafted by the Mets, sixth overall in, I believe, 2018. And so he has been a very high prospect uh, through the minor leagues uh, for some time. Uh, a much uh, hoped for prospect for the Mariners. And unfortunately for them, he never really uh, figured it out with them. And that's that's the reason why he's available. But, but Alex Anthopoulos is definitely um, selling or buying, I should say, buying low on Kellenic. Uh And uh, let's get into the deal that brought him to the Braves. The Braves acquired Kelnick uh, for Marco Gonzalez, and uh, who's a pitcher, left-handed pitcher, and first baseman Evan White. Uh, and... Guys, neither of those guys are with the Braves organization anymore. The Braves quickly turned those two around. Well, I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, so for those three players, along with some cash as well, the Braves sent Jackson Coar and right-handed pitcher Cole Phillips to the Mariners. Cole Phillips could become something one day. Um, he is a young prospect who has already had Tommy John surgery. He's actually never thrown a pitch in the Braves organization uh, going through uh, that process of rehab. So Coar came over uh, to the Braves from Kansas City in the Cal Wright deal, so he never sees time in the Braves organization either. Uh, Phillips was a second rounder and is coming off Tommy John, like I said. So he could be good in the future. I mean, you could uh, five years from now zoom out and Cole Phillips could be the best player in this entire deal. But, of course, with prospects, there's no guarantee of that. He could also never see the big leagues. Um, so, you know, the Braves take on a good bit of money in this deal. Marco Gonzalez is a guy who has had some success as a back-end starter for the Mariners in his career, uh, but has also had some injuries of, as of late. Evan White is pretty uh, has a pretty odd uh, major league career. He's a sub-200 hitter. He has some power. He actually won a gold glove in the... Um, 2020 strike, um, not strike shortened, COVID shortened season, um, and and has barely seen any big league time other than the 2020 season. So uh, has never really hit much, but is a great glove. The Mariners signed him to uh, a really early deal, so he's making in the millions, even though he's never done much beyond 2020. And like I said, Gonzalez I think is making about 12 million. So the Braves initially took on a good bit of money in this deal and basically they did that so that they could acquire Kelnick. Uh, soon after that Marco Gonzalez was traded to the Pirates for a player to be named later. The Pirates took on at least a portion of Gonzalez's money. Uh, Evan White then was later moved along with a minor league reliever named Tyler Thomas to the Angels. The Angels took on all of White's money, and the Braves acquired utility infielder David Fletcher and catcher Max Stasi, uh, both of whom were making close to seven million dollars. I think Stasi is making seven, Fletcher is making six and a half. Uh, so again, uh, trading uh, 
some some money. The Braves took on more money in this deal, basically in order to get rid of Evan White's money. And then they're not done yet. A lot of moves, a lot of chess moves being made by Anthopolis here. Uh, Max Stasi, the catcher, was moved to the White Sox um, for a player to be named later. Uh, and the White Sox took on some of Stasi's money as well. Fletcher, it looks like, will remain with the Braves as their backup infielder. He can also play the outfield. Um, he uh, is a light hitting, seems like a light hitting backup, but he can play a good defensive infield and can play a corner outfield uh, position if needed. So there's a lot of value there. Looks like he's kind of going to take on the, the Nicky Lopez role from last year. So a ton of activity from the Braves and honestly, a lot of stuff um, to, to make this Jared Kelnick move work and make it as uh, least expensive as possible. Um, at the end of all this, the Braves have acquired a high upside left fielder in Kelnick while really not actually taking on that much money. Uh, they definitely took on money here, but um, you know, the, the initial move, They've they've kind of rearranged some money and um, you know gotten an, an additional backup infielder in Fletcher on top of Kelnick and and these this is kind of a classic Alex Anthopoulos chess move kind of thing here right uh, so Kelnick is a former top prospect I've already mentioned that he hasn't broke out yet he had some success for the first time last year with the Mariners but it wasn't very it wasn't really sustained um, but he did show some signs that he was figuring some things out and yet it was still a pretty frustrating experience all all said in a Mariners uniform for Kelnick he definitely has a very high ceiling and enters the Braves organization that is known for making hitters better um, you know and he can also sit at the bottom of the lineup uh, with very little pressure on him uh, he can basically hit in the best lineup in baseball he can probably hit eight or ninth. I would prefer him hitting ninth, so then you have the protection of Acuna behind him. He'll see more fastballs that way, and I think it gives him the absolute best opportunity to have some success in his big league career. He's still only 24 years old, and he, he comes with five years of team control. And so his talent and his team control is what makes him so uh, valuable, and especially valuable to Alex Anthopoulos. Uh, as of now, the Braves have taken on, all told, with all these moves, they've taken on about $20 million uh, over the next two years combined uh, for the rights of Kelnick and this backup infielder, David Fletcher. So, uh, all that being said, you know, as you kind of zoom back a little bit on this Kelnick move, the most likely scenario is that these trades create um, an opportunity for Kelnick to be the starting left fielder and long-term left fielder for the Atlanta Braves. Fletcher, again, will serve as a utility infielder probably for the next two seasons. He is signed through uh, the next two. And this also likely means, I think it likely means that Vaughn Grissom will be traded. It doesn't guarantee it, but it certainly seems like that is the most likely scenario or domino to fall after Kelnick has been, um, has been acquired. Now, the Braves have come out and said that Vaughn Grissom is still in their plans. He still plans to play left field uh, in winter ball and kind of be prepared for that. Uh, I believe them. Um, I believe them in a sense. I, I, I think it's highly unlikely that Vaughn Grissom and Jared Kelnick 
are going to be kind of a tag team duo in the left field next year. Uh, I think there's just a lot to be uh, played out still in this offseason. So the Braves need to prepare for either of these guys to play left field and start for the Braves next year. But, you know, here's, here's a scenario. If the White Sox want Kelnick in a trade for Dylan Cease instead of on Grissom, you know, do the Braves do that deal? Do they just basically flip Kelnick and say, okay, we need Cease, we want Cease, and we're willing to go with Vaughn Grissom in the left. He might be the, the, you know, the worst of the two options between him and Kelnick, but in order to get Cease, we'll do it. Um, you know, I do know that they still value Grissom in a lot of ways. Um, they probably just are, you know, they probably just have a lot of question marks still with Grissom being able to play left field. Certainly over the next few months, they're, they're going to be able to put eyes on Grissom in left field for the first time and see if he's actually capable of doing it. You know, and if he impresses uh, and maybe surprises a little bit and is really natural out there, then maybe it does open them up even more so to think if the White Sox want Kelnick and that's kind of who they're targeting in a trade with Cease or, you know, any other of the other um, teams out there, Glass now in Tampa Bay and, and whoever else. Um, I do think it's at least plausible to think that the Braves could flip uh, Jared Kelnick. I don't think that's their intention. I think they really did go out and get him to be the left fielder for the next five years in Atlanta. Um, but you, you listen to all offers, and I think the Braves want to be flexible in um, how they finalize and build this roster for the upcoming season. So if, you know, if the Braves keep Kelnick and see him as this long-term piece in the outfield, let's dive into Kelnick a little bit more um, and just think about the type of player he can be with the Braves. Uh, First off, you know, his promise as a prospect was real. At one point, he was the number four overall prospect in baseball. Um, And he he lit up the minor leagues for a two-year period and really seemed to be maybe not a can't-miss prospect, but really obviously a a super talented guy that was going to do a lot of big things in baseball. Uh, His prospect grades were, you know, prospects are ranked on 20 to 80 in all these different categories. Typically, um, 40 or 45 is average, and then anything above 45 is above average. And if you get to 60 as a prospect, it's, um, you know, it's really next level good. You you rarely see grades of 70s and 80s on prospects. You might see these grades. Um, sometimes they'll break them down into what the, what the guy's doing now and then what they project he might be able to do in the future. But all that being said, Kelnick was basically rated close to a five-tool prospect. Uh, 50 grade hit tool, which is really solid. 50 grade game power and 60 raw power, meaning his game power, he wasn't fully always tapping into that raw power, but this guy is a powerful dude, potentially, you know, 30 plus home run kind of guy. Um, if he puts it all together, uh, 50 grade speed, which again is above average 45 fielding. So a little lower on the fielding. He's, I think he's graded out at, at least as an average outfielder uh, so far in his big league career. Uh, So, you know, all of those things show out to be a really solid, potentially really solid all-star level major league player. But of course, 
you know, what a scout puts on a piece of paper and what the player actually goes out and does two different things. So Kelnick has definitely experienced some struggles in Seattle. Uh, he's basically struggled over parts of three full seasons and he had a weird timing thing. And of course, COVID really threw off a lot of different baseball players out there. So Kelnick ripped up the minor leagues in 20, um, 2019, 2018 and 2019. And then 2020 happened and he didn't play. Um, so let's, let's just get into that. So, um, you know, he, uh, in those, in those two seasons where he really tore up, uh, AAA or actually minor leagues, uh, he had a 900 OPS across three levels as he made his way up to AAA. And then in 2019, he hit over a thousand OPS at AAA. So all these things, you know, all good signs of he's, he's obviously not only, you know, putting the bat on the ball, but with real authority and power, but, uh, some, some high strikeout numbers and those strikeout numbers only ticked up as he made it into the big league. So again, he has struggled over three seasons, uh, partial seasons with the Mariners. He hasn't really been able to play a full season. And I do think that's one thing that has probably made it more difficult for him to be successful at the big league level. But I mean, again, he was failing I mean, he was hitting, you know, under 200 when the Mariners two straight seasons sent him back down to triple a. So I think the best word to describe Kelnick's early career with the Mariners was frustration. Um, that was kind of capped off last season uh, after he struck out in the ninth inning of a big at bat. He broke his foot by kicking a water cooler. And, you know, look, is that proof that this guy's a hothead? And he, you know, no, I mean, well, maybe, but uh, we'll, we'll see how all that translates. And maybe that fire is a good thing that will come into the Braves clubhouse. But um, I do think it also means he cares, right? And obviously he has been experiencing some frustration. He's a talented guy who probably hasn't dealt with this kind of failure uh, in the past. And here he is for about three straight years, really struggling through things. So this will be a fresh start for him in Atlanta, right? He's going away from Seattle, which is historically one of the hardest places to hit in baseball. Uh, Seattle and their offense has been kind of notorious for being full of guys who strike out a lot. And I just wonder collectively what that might do to a young player uh, not being surrounded by guys who are who are necessarily approaching at bats all that well and you know he's going to be entering a clubhouse full of really solid dudes but also a clubhouse in a team with a lot of good hitters who approach the game the right way approach at bats the right way and uh, you know that we saw that as Braves fans this entire last season I mean you think about it Acuna and Olsen were both able to reduce their strikeout numbers. Um, Acuna basically from the get-go um, cut his strikeout numbers in half this season on his way to his MVP. And Matt Olsen, after kind of a rough month or so start to the season, really was able to make some important adjustments and, of course, ends up hitting uh, over 50 home runs. And then you think of Marcelo Zuna and Michael Harris, both really struggling out of the gates this season with these deep slumps that they were both in. They both worked them, themselves out of those slumps uh, with really hard work and good approaches at the plate. And so I think all these guys, right, they've had experience doing it. 
They've had a lot of success, and Jared Kelnick is going to come into that clubhouse probably with a ton of respect for the guys surrounding him and how they go about their business and how they hit. And he's going to be able to see it firsthand. And, you know, that that is really important to me in terms of is this young guy going to finally click? Is it going to finally click for him? And he, he will figure it out. Of course, it's no guarantee. But what can Jared Kelnick be potentially? I think a three-war player is totally realistic for him next year. If you had re-signed uh, Eddie Rosario, which I'm sure some of you guys out there would have wanted the Braves to bring back Eddie for another year. But, you know, Eddie has been a one-war player um, over the last couple seasons, uh, which is under a a solid starter in the major leagues. And I think Kelnick has, you know, Kelnick's, Kelnick was a 1.3-war player. So he was about where Eddie was last year. Uh, he's never been better than that, but he's only 24 years old, right? He's just getting started, and his ceiling is way higher. Uh, I mean, his ceiling, honestly, is higher than a three-war player. But I think it is legitimate to say if he can just uh, put things together a little bit more, play every day, play a solid left field, I think he can be a three-war player for the Braves next year. And on a team full of all-stars and full of MVP candidates, that's really all he needs to be, especially at the bottom of the order. The other thing to think about with this move is, yeah, the Braves are taking on about $20 million over the next two years, but uh, Kelnick himself is not making any money. And if he doesn't play well, if he doesn't work out, you can move on from Kelnick um, and you can move on uh, pretty easily. And it's not difficult to go out and get another left fielder on the open market, whether it's trade or free agency. It's just uh, the Braves have done it quite a few times. It would be nice for Kelnick to be that left fielder of the future. And we just have uh, you know a solid guy in the lineup for years to come in left field because it has not been the case for a long, long time. I, I think if I had to think back to the last, um, you know, consistently good left fielder the Braves had, maybe Justin Upton. And I mean, he wasn't even in Atlanta for that long, but uh, a few seasons. So maybe y'all can think of somebody um, since him, but, but he comes to mind. And then maybe uh, Ryan Klusko before that. So yeah, left field has been kind of a revolving door for the Braves organization for a long time. It'd be awesome to see Kelnick step up and and really take hold of his career. So, you know, this Brave th this trade also gives the Braves some flexibility uh, in making a trade for a pitcher. I really do think uh, now that they have a couple of options in uh, in Kelnick and Grissom, and again, I know that Kelnick is the number one option, but but now that they have two guys that they could legitimately put in left field, I think it really does open up more a potential trade for a Dylan Cease or a Tyler Glass now or fill in the blank of who you want to. Um, again, I, I, I expect it seems most likely that Vaughn Grissom is going to be traded this offseason. We've already been saying that, but with the addition of Kelnick, it seems even more likely. So probably Vaughn Grissom plus a few other prospects that you could package together for a pitcher. But like I said already, don't be shocked if Kelnick is moved instead. He has a lot of trade value. Uh, and if a team with a pitcher would prefer uh, this young outfield prospect in Kelnick over basically, you know, Grissom is still probably considered by most an infield prospect uh, who can play second base. I think Kelnick could go. 
uh, and the Braves could still use Grissom in the left field. Um, you know, or the Braves could even trade both of them. I mean, there is a scenario out there that that could happen. A team could like both of them, plug two young players into, you know, could you could you foresee that? Yeah, I could totally foresee somebody like the White Sox going young and, and taking both those players for Dylan Cease, and the Braves could go out and, and find another left fielder. Again, I don't think that is the most likely scenario, but all of these things are on the pl- on the table, and um, I think the Braves really are still in the mix to add another starting pitcher. All right, well, guys, I also want to address Shohei Otani for a minute. I mean, you guys, I'm sure have heard as all the baseball world has been buzzing about him signing with the Dodgers and this historic 10-year, $700 million deal. Now, at $700 million, we haven't heard all of the ins and outs other than it is historic in terms of how much money is being deferred well past those 10 years. So it's it's kind of tricky as to how that is going to all go down. But nonetheless, what it means is Otani is going to the Dodgers. And our dream of Shohei Otani in a Braves uniform our dreams have been dashed, guys. Um, and I guess that's all they really ever were, were dreams. You know, my hope, and if you go back to my Otani episode, you know, my hope was that Otani would go to the best, the team that was the best fit, right? And the team that was the best team, and that would be the Braves. And um, yeah, I knew it was unlikely. I knew he would have to uh, shun a lot of extra money uh, in order to do that. And ultimately, obviously, it's not what he did. Uh, the Dodgers are hard to say no to, right? It's Hollywood. It's one of the best-run organizations in baseball, and they obviously threw um, as much money as anyone could ever imagine at Shohei Otani, and he took it. And I certainly can't fault him for doing it. Um, it kind of is obvious. I mean, ultimately, it sounds like maybe the Blue Jays and the Angels were the other two um, finalist teams, though I never really believed the Angels were legitimately going to be able to bring him back. So, you know, maybe he really, did, maybe it wasn't even that much of a decision, um, but he ends up going to LA, you know, and a lot of people are asking this, is Otani really worth $700 million? And, you know, my answer is probably, uh, you know, he probably is. He's the most unique player um, in modern baseball history. Uh, he brings in so much extra money in terms of, you know, revenue from Japan and, and all of the, the sales of everything. Um, but, you know, I don't even know if that's all that important to talk about. Um, the dollar, the, the Dodgers are the only team with deep enough pockets to make this kind of deal. Right. Um, and they were in a unique position because they had really cleaned out a lot of their, um, their payroll in order to do this and everybody knew they were doing it. So it really did end up playing out the way most people thought it would. Um, I do wonder, however, if things were to ever go badly in LA for Otani and by badly, I mean, you know, an injury or Otani becoming unhappy with the organization for whatever reason, or if the Dodgers started to lose halfway through this, um, this contract, um, how might this mega contract actually trap Shohei Otani in LA? You know, it's just going to be, it's almost impossible to ever move him. And I'm, I'm sure the Dodgers don't think that will ever need to be discussed, but, uh, you never know what's going to happen with a player. 
And, you know, what if Otani is never able to pitch again and all those things, right? There's so many unknowns. But again, the Dodgers are in a unique position to be able to do this. Um, and and they did it. And, and certainly us Braves fans know that the Braves would laugh out loud at giving any player $700 million, and especially a player who will be 38, 39 years old at the end of this. Yes, I mean, that's the thing. The Dodgers will be playing will be paying Shohei Otani $70 million to play as a 39-year-old. Um, so, look, like I, I, like I said, he probably is worth it. Um, maybe as much off the field as on the field, but it is really crazy to think that anybody could ever get that amount of money. But look, ultimately, Braves fans, um, we have to realize that the Braves are still the best team in baseball. Um, you know, again, one measure of that is is by war. Fangraphs war still projects the Braves to be eight war points higher than the Dodgers. Eight points is a lot. It's a lot. And the Braves are well ahead of the, the rest of baseball. So the Braves are one, the Dodgers are two, but eight points below the Braves. And of course, the Dodgers are not done this offseason. They have more to add. Um, there's talks that they might go after Yamamoto. And, and add other other pieces to their pitching staff. So, I mean, they could end the season or in the offseason uh, ahead of the Braves, I suppose, in war. But the Braves maybe are not done yet either, right? The Braves could add a Dylan Cease or somebody else. Uh, I think they will probably still uh, stand above the Dodgers in terms of their potential. Of course, you still have to play it out on the field. But not only are the Braves better right now than the Dodgers are, uh, for 2024, but we know that the Braves are way better off for long-term success. They're the best team in baseball for that. I do think, you know, this is just me imagining. I mean, it's it's all hypothetical. But if the Braves came at uh, came at Otani with 700 million dollars over 10 years, and the Dodgers came at Otani for 700 million dollars for 10 years, I wonder. I wonder if it was all even. If he might pick Atlanta compared to LA, we'll never know that. I have my suspicions that he might pick Atlanta simply because they're set up even better than the Dodgers for long-term success. And just one simple way to think about that is think about the big names, the core for each team. So the Dodgers are much older than the Braves, even when you think about Otani, right? So let me go down this list really quickly as we think about the core for each team. So the Dodgers core uh, consists of Otani, Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, Max Muncy, and Walker Bueller. Okay, I could be missing somebody out there, but that's kind of their main core. Otani is 29 years old, but is coming off his second Tommy John surgery. Mookie Betts is 31. Freddie is 34. Will Smith is 29. Max Muncy is 33. And Walker Bueller is 29. So by the end of 2024, right? The entirety of the Dodgers core will be 30 years old or older. The Braves, on the other hand, you guys know where I'm going with this. The Braves are way younger and are locked up for way longer than most of the Dodgers. So Acuna is 26. Olsen is 29. He's the old man of the group. Riley's 27. Michael Harris, 23. Strider is 25. Ozzie Albies is 27. And Sean Murphy is tying Matt Olson at 29 years old, right? So the Braves, none of them are over 30, and uh, only Olson and Murphy will hit 30 by the end 
or after the 2024 season. So it's not only that the Braves are signed long-term, but I think what the Braves are banking on is, you know, your best seasons are pre-30, right? And after you, when you get past 30, it's not that you can't have great seasons. I imagine Mookie Betts and Shohei Otani are going to be really dominant for many years to come. But your best years tend to be from the early 30s and down, right? Mid-20s to early 30s. That is most people's window of your prime. And the Braves have all of these incredible players in their prime. And really, some of them, maybe most of them, are really just entering their prime. So that's a scary thought for the rest of baseball. So... All right, that's that's the Dodgers, right? The Braves are certainly going to be thinking about them, and and I think this Otani move guarantees that the Braves and Dodgers will still be a great rivalry in the National League for years to come. So, that being said, I, I mentioned the pitching, and the, I still think the Braves are going to target a pitcher this offseason. I really do, guys. Uh, so, which pitchers are still out there on the open market for the Braves to target? You know, guys, I did a, a full pitching episode a couple couple episodes ago. And some of those guys have gone off the board. Um, you know, Sonny Gray went to uh, the Cardinals. Uh, Aaron Nola, of course, went back to the Phillies. Um, but there's still some big names to be had out there, especially by trade. Dylan Cease, I've already mentioned his name a couple times. I think he is the most desired guy of all these guys by the Braves because he helps cover, you know, if Freed's going to exit uh, and go into free agency after the 2024 season. Cease is, if you get him, you get him for two years, right? And you can kind of bridge that gap a little more with a Dylan Cease. Uh, but you have Tyler Glass now, Corbin Burns, and Shane Bieber, right? All of those guys are out there uh, to be traded for, potentially. Glass now, Burns, and Bieber are all in their final year of their deals. So they are all probably likely a one-and-done rental type player i think there's been some talk that glass now and bieber are possibly more likely to be extended uh burns and cease are unlikely to be extended because they're both um they are both clients of scott boris and he is he's known for never um never encouraging his players to go out and get an extension the other big free agent out there that's still available that i you know in in the past episode, I talked about him as someone I would still be interested in, interested in. That is Jordan Montgomery. So he's the free agent out there. Uh, being the free agent, he's the most expensive guy. You know, I think uh, MLB Trade Rumors had his deal potentially at six years, $150 million. Would the Braves want to do something like that? Uh, they were willing to do it for Aaron Nola, but I don't know if they're willing to do it for Jordan Montgomery. So I really do think that one of these pitchers to be traded for is the most likely thing to happen for the Braves. The Kelnick move seems to set them up better to make a trade for a pitcher this offseason. You know, and a trade means less money committed, uh, both short-term and long-term, and especially long-term for these guys. So, you know, they can pick up a short-term fix for the rotation and address the rotation again next offseason if they need to. And, you know, that's possible. I know everybody wants them to to figure out something in the rotation long-term now before Max Freed and Charlie Morton go. Um, and I think the Braves would prefer to do that. But I also don't think they're going to push themselves to do it, um, you know, and sign a guy that they don't fully believe in. 
uh, just for an idea, right? If the Braves maybe go out and get a, a one-year, whoever it would be, through trade or free agency this year, free agent pitchers in 2025 include some of the guys I've already mentioned, Corbin Burns, Shane Bieber, and Tyler Glass now. But you also have Walker Bueller, of course, Max Freed, and Zach Wheeler all hitting the free agent market next year. Um, so there are options. Of course, there's a lot more options out there than just those guys. But those are the guys that were really, uh, really jumped out to me. So, look, the Braves do certainly have a lot of options. They should make an upgrade in the rotation this offseason. I'm really in that camp. But even if they don't, they are still the best team in baseball, guys, even as Shohei Otani moves over to the Dodgers. Uh, the Braves just have to find a way to play like the best team in baseball in October. We all know that's true. And of course, it's a long, October's a long ways off. So it's going to be a while until we're able to figure that one out. But Anthopolis still has plenty of time to build this team up even more. It seems like starting pitching is probably the only thing left to do. And we're just going to have to see how he does it. All right, guys. Well, thanks for uh, listening to another episode of State of the Braves. I'll talk to you soon.